The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. We've got a whole wardrobe full of of turtlenecks. Should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's make podcasting magic. I'm sick of it already, to be honest. You're all right. My name is Toby Manhai. This is Gone by Lunchtime, the original alpha strain of political podcasting in Aotearoa, coming to you direct from a quarantine facility on the outskirts of the metaverse. We're back for the year 2022. And uh, big news, we are six years old. <gasps> Shit. Into our into our third term, third term complacency. The first, pod, first Gone by Lunchtime podcast was on February 3. 2016, and today is February 3. Wow, remember, remember those days? Wow. We were teenagers, really, weren't we? Yeah. I only had four kids back then. <laughs> I think I had hair. <laughs> I didn't have hair. Um, and you didn't know that you were going to be required to do more than one podcast. I had no idea. I and thought you had to it was walk a one-off. stairs. Yeah. Oh, the memories. Beautiful. Um, the only reason we've been able to survive apart from a close bond of friendship, is the support from members. So thank you, members. Please join members. Please like and subscribe to this podcast across every platform. Big thank you to our producer, T.I., here. Happy New Year. It's too late to say Happy New Year, but Happy New Year. The Prime Minister tested negative for the novel coronavirus a few days ago. Uh, Ben Thomas has recently been tested for the novel coronavirus, and he is going to reveal live on the podcast. He's just got his result. It's just come in, just come into his phone. And like a Saturday Night Lotto draw, he is going to reveal to us. He's sitting there in a beekeeper suit right now, and uh, we're about to find out whether he uh, has tested negative or whether he's a, an early adopter of the OMI. Ben Thomas. Yeah, so I'm, I'm pulling for positive uh, so that there's mm. still some purchase in me writing a, a personal essay about it. Mm. Uh, for, <laughs> uh, before it becomes mainstream, uh, let me just, let me just check. Um, Kia ora, Benjamin, your COVID test taken on 01 field. Negative. Ah, negative. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, I'm taking this off. That's, this is a disaster. I reckon you'll have a really good chance of getting it soon. So don't be sad. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be impatient. The, I'm just, I'm just going, going shopping at Faro every day, <laughs> stocking up on heirloom tomatoes. Before, 
panic panic buying. Yeah, fly, flying to Wellington without a mask on to go to all the sushi shops. <laughs> I went to Faro during the um, holidays because I, it was actually just after I got my booster shot and I was going to visit my friend's newborn and, you know, newly boosted. Mm. And the only supermarket on the way was Faro and I was like, well, I better bring something. You know, I'll bring a bag of gluten-free crisps. Mm couple of tiny cheeses. Mm. $72. <laughs> but good stuff. <laughs> this, uh, inflation is out of control. <laughs> like, what's, what's Adrian Orr doing about this? And that completes our discussion on inflation. How are you, Annabelle Lee Mather? I'm very good. Any uh, Omicron in the old system? Um, no Omicron. Um, the most exciting thing that happened to me this week is that I got um, Wordle in two guesses. Mm. So now I feel very intellectually smug, even though I don't know what money printing is or why everyone's camping in the UK. Was that was that moist? It was moist. Yeah. yeah so my <laughs> my thinking is that the more guesses you take at Wordle, the smarter you are, because it shows you know more words. Mm. Uh, Interesting. You know? Indeed, yeah. Right, we've got a long list of problems to solve today. We're going to look at the year ahead, the Charlotte Ballas saga, the five-step opening up plan, the state of the polls, the Omicron crowd circling around us, the rat situation, the state of the opposition, the launch of an income insurance blueprint, maybe even inflation, some of local election stuff, and we'll do it all in maybe 30, 40 minutes. Sounds sure. manageable, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, we're excited. Totally doable. I'm just full of vim. Uh, we so, should, can we start with uh, inflation? Because it's I've I've been taking steps. You know, we've got to, we've got to be prepared you mm. know, for this new stage of Omicron. So can we start with I, inflation? I, I, such a nerd. <laughs> Go on then. I, well, so, so in, in my car on the on the way here, newly freed after my uh, twenty four hours of self isolation, pending my test results, yeah. um, I went and panic bought uh, forty eight rolls of toilet paper, uh, ten cans of smoked oysters, Trident brand, nice. um, eight packs of Doritos, mm. uh, and twenty liters of gasoline. Which is in my car. Just could do the maths I'm, on that. I'm, so I'm, that's that's one pack of Doritos plus one tin of oysters equals three rolls of twelve. <laughs> 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 so so when I when I get home, I can I can put it all in my like consolidated to use the word of the moment um, emergency management storage area mm. um, with all of my tin food mm. next to my stockpiled bottled water mm. next to my 20 litres of 91 unleaded petrol yep. next to uh, my lighters, matches, fire starters in case of an electricity outage. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm ready. Is that like that stuff left over from like Y2K? Yeah, next to my chemical <laughs> toilet. <laughs> and 17 torches, none of which works any longer because you left the batteries in and they've turned to battery acid. So we're talking um, just a few minutes after the Prime Minister wrapped up her speech, her big opening up plan, delivered again, uh, and we had five steps. So just a quick reminder of what we've got. We've had three alert levels with three steps out of it. That was replaced with three lights, to which were added three phases, and now we have five steps. And that is another go at opening up the border, and that begins at midnight on the 27th of February to New Zealanders travelling 
from across the Tasman who will be required to isolate at home, not have to go into an MIQ facility. And then there are a series of other steps, steps one through five. The next one is mid-March, which is New Zealanders from other parts of the world and working holiday visas and skilled workers who earn a certain amount, then mid-April and then July and then October, all open, all go. Uh, Ben, you watched the speech. You've been ruminating on it together with your Doritos and oysters. What's your verdict? It was interesting after so long seeing the Prime Minister actually delivering some good news, or at least something that she you know, thought was good news. Um, there's an obvious sort of uh, pep uh, in her delivery. Um, it's sort of the third time she's delivered that speech, though, in a way, wasn't it? There was the original kind of skeg mm. opening up conference. Oh, well, she, she did deliver it the... very fluently. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't looking down at her notes much. Um, and... Uh, it, it was interesting because she talked she talked a, a little bit about you know the sacrifice and keeping New Zealanders safe, and a tiny little bit about the new world that we would have of living with Omicron, with it you know seeded throughout the community. Mm-hmm. But she spent the majority of it talking about the future, move, moving forward, um, which. I think gets an outing every sort of few weeks or months as a government tagline. I remember when I worked in the the Beehive, we had a series of annual conferences called Moving Forward Together. Mm. Um, As opposed to New Zealand First, who are like reversing back. (laughs) (laughs) Just just spinning their (laughs) tyres. Um, the and, and she was so she was talking about the future of both the economy, um, you know, and and all of the reframing a lot of the COVID recovery stuff or the COVID response stuff as building this new carbon neutral uh, and uh, more more efficient economy and, and more prosperous. And she she really did sort of focus on the future. Um, I think that. You know, since Omicron became kind of inevitable, you've gotten this feeling that you know the the government wants to basically distance itself from the day to day reality of people being sick as much as possible, and focus on you know the bright shining future, um, and you know which obviously is politically sensible for them to do, but does does make quite a big shift from the last two years. Where you know, sort of paraphrase Louis the Fourteenth. You know, it's very much the COVID response is the prime minister. The prime minister is the COVID response. I noticed that she, in the speech, made particular mention of New Zealanders abroad as well as New Zealanders at home, and she sort of said the sacrifices that New Zealanders have had to make and the anguish they've gone through and so on. And that well, she did read a letter from somebody who was very pleased to have yeah, been locked out yeah. of New Zealand. Well, that's it, isn't it? That always is swiftly followed by, but we've saved all the, you know, all the yeah. lives have been saved. And it's a, it's a reasonable point to make. Annabelle, uh, the, the initial responses that I've seen from the kind of, from the, the experts, which is, you know, always sent out very helpfully by the Science Media Centre from the, the Michael Planks and co, is that it, is a is a is a sensible staggered opening up that won't uh, overload the case numbers, overload the hospitals. But it's a very delicate balancing act, isn't it? In terms of what we've seen overseas with what Omicron can do, absolutely acknowledging that it's a less severe disease. Once you get up to a certain scale, it can have a, a really debilitating effect on 
health systems, and of course, our most vulnerable are always at risk. Well, I think, you know, historically speaking, opening borders hasn't always worked out that well for Māori. Um, so I think um, there's going to be some some trepidation there. I mean, it, it does look like a sensible plan, but the issue is that we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what the next strain of, of coronavirus is going to look like and who will be most vulnerable to it. And we still have a huge number of um, under-18s uh, and, uh, um, sorry, under-12s mm. and under-5s who who have no protection at all and we have seen record levels of um, of hospitalisation for, for children with, with Omicron. So um, it, obviously we were going to have to open it sometime. Is this the right time? Well, you could argue that until those younger gener- those younger children are, are um, vaccinated, that it's actually quite high risk. The initial numbers are a worry on the paediatric vaccinations, given that Tamariki Māori numbers are running uh, at less than half of non-Māori. Um, and I, I spoke to Danny Delore about that yesterday. He was, and he was, he he said that there are a lot of things underway, and that it has been properly co-designed. But it was, it wasn't too early to start asking questions about those numbers and whether or not it was enough was being done to avoid a repeat of what we saw with the first vaccination rollout. Mm. And, you know, people want to come home to New Zealand to give birth because it's considered, a, you know, one of the safest places in the world. But opening up the borders does make it less safe because when you um, have more people in the community with the disease, it just increases case numbers. So I think, you know... That's a, that's a concept some people are, are struggling to understand, but the more people that you have with Omicron flowing into the community, um, the quicker and further it's going to spread. And as we've seen in this Delta outbreak, it's vulnerable communities that, that bear the brunt of it. If there, yeah, I mean, if Omicron follows anything like the path that it has overseas, you know, it all becomes a bit of a moot point by the time the... Uh, borders actually open, which is that, you know, it'll be pretty much on every street corner um, and and the effect of, you know, new people, uh, new cases coming into the country will be pretty negligible. Um, and, and that's just the reality. You know, this is the same with Delta. When Delta was sort of uh, at, at loose in the community, that was when the government, you know, last uh, proposed to open the borders. And, you know, it's, it's just the same thing now. Um, and it's certainly preferable while Omicron is absolutely not the flu, it is certainly a preferable to have the strain of Omicron running through because we've seen a decoupling than Delta, that is, because we've seen a very clear decoupling. Although there's not a lot of, of there's not a lot of information about what, what, what the long COVID impact of Omicron is, so again. That's true. Um, the, Bellis, the Charlotte Bellis saga, the former Al Jazeera journalist who had a very uh, uh, a strong hook in the... Um, in her plea that was published in the New Zealand Herald a few days back that she was being offered support by the Taliban where she couldn't come home <laughs> to her own country. Um, is that, I mean, that, that was obviously a, 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 a real PR disaster for the government and that you could see you could see it in the whites of their eyes and there were obviously steps taken to expedite the response to that. Uh, and 
it was interesting to me, Ben. I saw um, Nikki McDonald, who's a, who's a who's a senior journalist at, at Stuff, uh, tweeted that she, she said, "I've written ten stories on, <laughs> on 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 pregnant women unable to get back into MIQ and nobody noticed." And so it's an interesting example of when you attach a story that is a, a real story and it is a it is a it is a very serious issue whether or not pregnant New Zealanders are able to return to their own country that they're citizen of, but it gets that attention when it wraps around somebody who has a kind of uh, uh, a bit of a, a news magnetism. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a very concrete kind of thing that people can grasp really easily. You know, should should New Zealanders be giving birth at home in New Zealand? Should they be giving birth in Afghanistan, um, which is you know one of the most blighted hellholes on earth, uh, run by a religious the, you know borderline theocracy. Um, and and you know currently struggling to you know feed its own people, um, and you know there's been all these questions about you know Charlotte Bellis was she exercising privilege? Of course she was. You know she's got a high profile. She's very you know she probably has much more photogenic sort of baby belly selfies on Instagram than most other people do. Uh, she knows a lot of people in the media. Um, at the same time, you know, that seems like the exercise of those sort of advantages for good in the sense that she didn't accept, you know, the plea bargain, the initial sort of <laughs> a corner cutting offer from the government and said, no, I'm holding out, you know, I, I think the, the, you know, I don't want an exception made for me. I don't want a loophole. Um, I want other mothers to be able to return. And the, the thing is, the, the guy who's the lawyer for that case, uh, actually an old friend of mine, I wasn't involved in any of this at all, but... Um, and and he said, you know, the 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 person that he started working with, who is Roshni Sami, um, you know, did again, like you said, didn't get any of the same sort of attention or sympathy. And so they've actually been working on this, you know, on on these cases together for for a while. Um, you know, they hit a jackpot with this case, and that really sort of brought public attention and sympathy to it. But you know you've you've got to you've got to make hay with those sorts of opportunities when you get them if you are looking at a wider cause. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're going to have uh, Omicron now, as you have both touched on, running through, uh, running, 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 running through communities. There have been some predictions of... RNZ ran a headline with 50,000 cases by Waitangi Day, which is clearly not going to happen. But in the worst examples overseas, if that was repeated, we could get that high. I looked at Queensland for a bit, which has a similar population, similar measures, and had a similar lack of COVID in the community until recently. And they got up to sort of, I think, just over 20,000 cases at a peak, and then have dipped back down to sort of eight or ten, one of the things that brings is this requirement to shift. We're going to shift through these phases that um, Aisha Varel uh, laid out, which means that the contact tracing operations change, the lengths of isolation change, uh, and also we shift to a different testing regime, uh, which means that you need these rapid antigen tests, which have helpfully been abbreviated as RATs. Um, I don't like it. 
but I, it wasn't my decision. Uh, <laughs> and that brought with it the questions over whether or not the government had adequately planned for the provision of those tests, the <laughs> suggestions that tests had been commandeered or requisitioned that was denied. It was just that Ashley Bloomfield had a chat with the supplier and said, yes, I would quite like to be for ours to be prioritised, since which... Uh, it's been announced that another big order has has been arrived at. But that whole exercise, Annabelle, I don't know if you were uh, paying close attention to it, it did seem as though whether or not the decision was right to get involved and say that we'd like to prioritise the uh, centralised distribution of those tests, which maybe, of course, we want people in the health sector or whatever to be able to have access to them first. It did seem as though it suggests that they hadn't been thinking ahead enough about those tests. I mean, I remember the Roche report, like uh, uh, well over a year ago, they were saying you need to get on top of the rapid tests and it seemed, seemed sluggish. Um, yeah, and I think that Chris Luxon makes a good point when he says that, um, you know, we could uh, improve our supply by adopting the same standards as, as Australia and if it's been approved by, if those suppliers have been approved by them too, um, to also approve them here without going through the, the usual rigmarole. Um, but I, I think that it's been a bit of an overstatement when people have appeared, you know, in the media and said that the government has stolen their mm. their supplies. And I think it's, um, uh, I mean, I'd be concerned that we would see a lot of price gouging and a monopoly on, on RAT. So, yes, they it seems like they were slow off the mark, um, I, but um, but it seems like everyone's struggling to get hold of RATs. Just to go back to the Charlotte, Charlotte Ballas thing, mm. um, you know, obviously every woman wants to be able to return to her papa kainga and give birth, including Mahine that were in lockdown here and would have liked to have returned to their own little hair. I think that it was a poor judgment, um, to say the least, by Charlotte to use the Taliban as a point of comparison as a female journalist who has reported on the issues in that country and the absolute dire situation that Afghanistani women find themselves in. I, I think it's, you know, we've seen over the last few days a number of Afghani women speaking out about that and I and I agree with, with their sentiment. On the uh, rapid tests, Ben, one of the things that I thought was kind of noticeable was that there was a relative lack of humility, you know, like it's it's it seems like it's all sorted now, but there was never really any acknowledgement that they hadn't done it. What I'm trying to say is, do you think they needed to swallow a dead rat on that one? Very good. Um, the, <laughs> you know, it, like you say, the need for rapid antigen tests was flagged by Brian Roche, who has been, you know, exhaustively sort of charting then monitoring, you know, the government's behest, their response and writing these reports with recommendations that never get uh, implemented. Mm. The, you know, it was clear that at some point we were going to need lots of rapid antigen tests, um, particularly, you know, and, and the government was still dragging its heels when Omicron, well, the government was completely missing during the summer when Omicron was sort of swallowing and engulfing our nearest neighbours. Uh, and, you know, in terms of, requ you know, requisitioning, or to use the government's word, consolidating, they actually did, they, they did swallow up 
orders, uh, you know, that were made by private companies into their own order. Um, they, they released a very carefully worded statement yesterday saying that with their largest orders, which are the ones they announced yesterday, those did not come at the expense of any other providers or, or any other orders. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting euphemism, sort of like, you know, Russia looking to consolidate the Ukraine. Helen Clark consolidating oh. the foreshore and seabed and then, and then distributing property rights, you know, as, as the government saw fit to prioritise. Um, and, you know, and, and look, you could say it's defensible to say, look, we're on a war footing here where, you know, the government is going to common dear private property, the government, you know, it's like the Public Works Act, we're going to take it all in and and, and we are going to take care of the distribution. You make it sound like they like rear-ended a tow truck into like some chemists or something <laughs> and, and did a big smash and grab of their of their rats. Well, no, I mean, they, they, they didn't really. They just, um, you know, the, 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 right, Uber, right. the Uber Eats person, uh, you know, came to their door and said, is, is, came, to, came to them at 7B and said, is this 7A? And they said, just drop it off here, mate. You know, <laughs> that's... Um, <laughs> Well, no, I think I think in the, the Bloomfield description, he rang up the he rang up the restaurant that that for the Uber Eats and just said, "Oh, I've just got like heaps of people around who really really need those pizzas. Um, so, could you push our pizzas ahead because these are really wonderful people?" Yeah, and then and then and then to continue. <laughs> Continue this metaphor. The the Domino's person is oh. like, oh, we've got um we've got two two uh, cheeseburger stuffed crusts here um, already ordered. Should they just go in your order? And Ashley was like, oh, yeah. And and uh, there's a couple of things about that. First, if you're going to nationalise private property, which essentially they they did, um, you should just be upfront about it and say you're doing it. And then try and explain it that way. The second thing is pretty unconscionable, I think, of, you know, Ashley Bloomfield, a public servant, was up on that podium with a government minister. <laughs> and to leave it to a public servant to deliver a spin line like that and explain, you know, and, and this was a PR speak. This is, this is a term coined by Andrew Campbell or someone else in the prime minister's office. This wasn't. Ashley Bloomfield deciding that that's what consolidation is from its mm, years maybe. in the ministry. He's a pretty good he's Honestly, pretty if good the private sector is upset about RATs, like, wait till they find out what happened with, like, Foreshore and Seabed and Public Works Act and all of that shit. Yeah, like, exactly. It wasn't great. Guys. Like, that, You're going to be appalled. Appalled. <laughs> but, it, but it was exactly the same thing. You know, I mean, you know, all, all's, all's well that ends well. You know, we can we can trust that the crack people at MB to make sure the RATs get to where they, they need to be, you know, they'll <laughs> 4,000 of them will turn up at the Families Commission private, for their use. Private sector guys, like, no. maybe you should organise a hikoi. I can give you some contacts of people with like loud hailers and they'll, really they'll, good hikoi boots and shit and the, they'll, they'll hook you up. They'll, they'll distribute sort of like, you know, about 50,000 of them to that website that reviews New Zealand books or whatever. They've got 500 grand during the funding round. Like, all, all of the best minds of government are on it. We'll find some in the fucking crater at Mangafo. <laughs> <laughs> so, we there's, are if there's one to... thing we know from the vaccine rollout, it's that we can trust the Ministry of Health to get things where they need to be. 
well, we've got a we've got a we've got a lot now. So that's the, the good news is there are basically you know ships loaded with the things making their way to Northport this very moment, and we're all going to be swimming in rats before long. And the reality we're going to face um, is quite shortly, and it's it's something that's happening overseas, but it's kind of I think one of the things that it's really hard to really grasp until it's here is that. Essentially, it's going to be like a whole bunch of micro lockdowns, is I think the best way of looking at it. Um, and every workplace of a certain size is having to deal with this. Some are more critical than others, obviously, when we're talking about the health systems and distribution networks and all of that. Political podcasts. Political podcasting. The, the, there's, there's going to be a whole bunch of really complex, really annoying, sometimes quite uh, dangerous and from a health point of view, but often just in terms of Dealing with short, short, you know, shortfalls in, in workforces, um, and we've been trying to kind of hold off on that, right? Like there's been the processes, let's push it back, but also let's get it through before we hit winter. And I don't know, do we, do we feel as though New Zealand is kind of braced and ready for that? I, I don't particularly sense it is. I mean, I'm, this is not a reflection necessarily on the preparations that the contact tracers and the officials are doing, because I think they are ready, but. I just don't. I just don't think I, the people I talk to, who may not be bright, but the people I talk to, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. I'm talking about my friends. I don't think they have quite got their heads around what the new reality is going to be. What, like them having to self-isolate for 24 days? Well, is well, that what you mean? I mean, at its, at its, at its, at its, at its word, yeah, I mean, most of it won't be that. It'll be like, like yeah. just short things and tests and can we go back and we can't do that and that's had to be stopped and someone's not going to school and is diddle, you know, all of that stuff. It's going to be a royal pain. It's like, yeah. I just mean it's like, that's why I say like micro lockdowns, like the lockdown, yeah. at least there was a kind of simplicity to it. Mm. Whereas now it's going to be, oh, no, Ben can't come because he's, Serving up three days to go on his ice, and Annabelle's yeah, yeah. going to do a test, and then she's yeah. a, and then she's every a casual time contact, someone at your casual plus school close test, contact, yeah. household contact, yeah. Yeah, is this going to be fun? No, I, don't, I, I think, I mean, I've been getting a lot of texts lately about no. buying nausea tablets and hydrating eye blo- ice blocks and, like, yeah. soap. Yeah. But in terms of the reality of how households are actually going to manage swinging in and out of isolation every, all the time. I don't, yeah, I think. Ben's, I mean, Ben's got a couple of dozen toilet rolls. And some oysters, so. 80 bucks. Per can in total? Uh, one can, one roll. Combo. Oh, you're offering a price? Yeah. Oh, I see. This I is, a, mar- this is a marketplace. Paid. I was going to say, He's price gouging his oysters. Yeah, no. Nah. Let's, let's talk about uh, 2022. I've written down here the challenge facing the government in 2020, which shows you how on the ball I am. It, 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 is, it is a bit like that, though, isn't it? Like, we've travelled back in time to... To now, since we're being nostalgic about the pod, right? We're, it's almost exactly two years ago since we recorded a pod, and I think at the end we tacked on something about some virus or something that, and and we and oh yeah, I, I made I, some I, jokes about bats and snakes. Yeah, and I, I remember saying, ah, oh, yeah, everyone will be sick for a few weeks, but yeah. it's pretty mild, yeah. and then we'll just move on with our lives and. Nailed it again, Ben. <laughs> then I said, Judith Collins will lead national to like a great victory if, if, if their MPs have the courage to bring her on. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it, like it is actually sort of 
you know, it does feel like we've kind of gone back to there where mm. we're sort of bracing for this unknown thing. We just need to, like, to splice it out, right? Like a big edit, like T.I. had just agreed to edit out the thing you said that you said couldn't <laughs> go into the podcast literally a couple of minutes ago. We were going to do that with the whole pandemic. We're just going to forget it never happened, yeah. notwithstanding the millions of, of deaths around the world, and we're just going to... Push on through. Mm. Just they'll just be in the history's history annals. They'll just sort of twenty to twenty to twenty twenty two will just be quietly removed, <laughs> like the thirteenth floor in an American. It, it'll be like um, you know, it's like Russian Doll. You know, it's like um, we were just, those were just practice runs, and yes. then we finally freed it. Then we finally became our higher selves, and now we're ready to get a mild cold and. You know. Hey, so there was a poll that came out in the last couple of days. It's uh, the One News Kantar, formerly known as Colmar, now known as Kantar. And it set out Labour on 40, down 1, National on 32, up 4, Act down 3 on 11, Green Party steady on 9, Zealand First 2, Māori Party 2, Opportunities Party 2 at one point. There we go, new leader under Ruff Manji, Annabelle. Yeah. As we get to approach the year 2020, it does, it does, it does, it feels like that's kind of, it feels like that's about where we are going into, God forbid, next year as an election year. Um, that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's always an election just finished or just about to arrive in three year terms. And that, does that feel to you like the kind of state of play where we are that the, the centre right, parties are really nipping at the heels now mm. of the centre-left block. Um, yeah, that feels like the vibe. I think Luxon is, you know, um, effective at delivering negative messages in a non, in, in a way that resonates with New Zealanders without sounding overly whiny or alarmist. Um, and so, yeah, I think seeing Axe drop down, the Nats pick up, um, the gap closer, but and you know, to be fair, given everything the government's been through, the enormous pressure they've been under um, with COVID, it, it's actually surprising that they remain so high. Ben, with your uh, exemplary record of predictions, how do you see it all uh, panning out? The, I think it's about what you'd expect. Uh, National get a boost, which is you know you would say almost entirely. Act, uh, you know, erstwhile mm. national supporters who have been dallying with Act come back. They're ready to give National a chance again. They see a, a chief executive, a business titan like Christopher Luxon there, and they're ready to give them another shot. Labour down a little, you know, but as, as you'd expect, you know, they were never going to stay at 59% or whatever they had in the TV1 poll after the election forever. Yep. Yep. The, 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 interest, the, the thing that all the parties will be looking at is those economic confidence uh, indicators mm. because that's really where you win and lose elections. People are feeling bad about their lives and their outlooks. Um, you lose if you're an incumbent government, you know, barring complete catastrophe um, on the part of the opposition, which we can never rule out at this stage with the National mm. Party. Um, the the other thing is the preferred PM, um, Labour's party numbers holding up, but that's, that's the lowest she's been in, I think, in 35 the on the preferred for, PM. Since she became Prime Minister. it up to 17. And then there was they also do the... Um, the approval ratings, and on that net approval, mm. there at Luxon is higher than Ardern, although there is a heavy, heavy caveat on that, which is that 
a large a number of people, of people didn't, didn't have a view. Yeah, so, yeah. so the preferred prime minister is, is 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 at least as kind of indicative on that front. But it shows that, you that, that, that Luxon is Luxon is in in it, right? And yeah, and more more important, the the PM's uh, approval minus yes. disapproval, <clears throat> way lower than it's been. Yes, and. That's going to be a concern for them. I mean, obviously, they pulled over heaps of non-traditional Labour voters um, in the last election. They'd be happy to lose a lot of them. But, you know, now you're getting into the territory where people, you know, centrist voters might be starting to, to waver on Ardern. And, like, Ardern is, she's the franchise for this government. And, and there's, not, that, there's not a lot. The that, irony yeah, is, is, like, if you read Bernard Hickey's stuff, then really all national supporters, their support base should be supporting Ardern because the transfer of wealth from poor to rich over over the COVID period has served them beautifully. Well, Actually, that, that was one of the things you did nail, Ben. There, 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 was, there was a question in the... Um, in that TVNZ poll, which is 75% of people want house prices to fall or something, which is like that should be taught in stats classes or market research things for how you get the wrong result from your bowling. Every every, um, media organisation I've worked for has surveyed readers and asked them, what do you want to see more of? And they all say, foreign news. We want more (laughs) foreign news. We want more (laughs) coverage of climate change. And nobody ever reads it. Yeah. It's, it's, It's what they like to hear themselves say it. Mm. Richard Preble said that, you know, when you pot, when they were doing, you know, uh, canvassing, you know, on the ground, on the boots on the ground mm. before he was beaten by Annabelle's mum and she retired him, more violence against straight white male <laughs> politicians <laughs> in, the, in the late 80s. Um, he he said, you know, you'd ask, you'd go to people and say, what are the issues that are most important to you? And they'd say education, the children, health. Um, and then you say, "What do you think you? What do you think is most important to your neighbour?" And they go, "Like our oh, tax cuts." <laughs> so you got to go. You, you've kind of got to go a bit deeper when you ask these questions because seventy five percent of New Zealanders, you know, we've got household home ownership of about sixty percent in terms of households. They they would freak the hell out if if house prices came down. If there was any actually a mechanism for the government to do that beyond sort of the inevitable slowdown which will happen this year um, with uh, measures to address inflation. Yeah, and I think when you uh, spoke earlier, Ben, about the speech that just happened today from Ardern, that is the sign of her wanting to go, okay, let's... Obviously no one is saying we can put COVID behind us and obviously... No, we're moving forward together. Left on, with but, co- us but, and COVID. But, 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 <laughs> Jacinda, I think that for, from, the, from, from the Labour Party's point of view, from the government's point of view, Jacinda Ardern talking about COVID is no longer seen as necessarily a big net gain. And no. let's get on with the other stuff, and that's what people are ready for. Meanwhile, and the, the National thing Party... Is, 2023, their, COVID, COVID will still be a worry, but... It's probably not going to be the biggest worry for voters under 30. That'll probably be rents and petrol prices. Yeah. Um, and it's not clear anymore. We've talked about this before, but it, it is now all there are so many details, so complicated steps, stages, phases, different rules, seven days, 10 days, PCR tests, rat t- the whole people are no longer listening to the overall message. And so it no longer has this kind of exquisite simplicity to it. Meanwhile, the National Party, going back to, to, to National, under Luxon and Queenstown with their retreat, uh, one of the things that just seems to radiate is that they just seem a bit happier. There's just yeah. a, there's just a you know, they don't seem to be faking it, you know? Like, they don't seem to be looking 
over their shoulders, there just seems to be a bit more energy and actual sense of possibility there. To be fair, summer vibes. Summer? It's lovely. Summer vibes. Love that summer. Wasn't and it Queenstown good? vibes. Um, right. There's also, though, there's also the, there are a few issues to deal with, including um, enthusiastic uh, coders like Harite Hepang <laughs> Wikipedia pages. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course the the, the Judith Collins uh, you, you know you, you don't necessarily want to be grinning too widely as she gets into <laughs> NFTs. Harati <laughs> 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 um, ha- So this is you, you, what you're referencing is that she was found to was it her at she was she got someone to fix her Wikipedia remove the con- con- she, controversies she, from she was, her Wikipedia. She was approached, approached by journalists saying, "What's I think I think what have been Thomas Cochran and what's his name? I I don't know. Let me go and find out." Comes back later saying, "I've done some investigation and it was me." <laughs> 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 and here's a, here's, a, here's a statement that's been prepared for I, me. I always used by to wonder about Chris that because when, when I worked for Finlayson, the, you know, his, his Wikipedia page had obviously been sort of constructed by sort of you know the Labour Party's research unit or something, and you know it, it had some minor attack by Trevor Mallard, sort of took up like about a quarter of the whole thing, you know, and like, and I was like, well, I can't edit it because I'm a staff member. So like, what, you know, how do you, how do you go about this? You know, do you petition the editors or something? And you're in a bit of a quandary. Um, And, you know, so if you've got an issue, like, you know, they're, they're either putting crazed overemphasis on something and you're attributing, Mm -hmm. attributing something, uh, you know, that's incorrect, which is some of the other stuff. You know, or as in Harati Hapango's case, uh, they're drawing attention to stuff that actually happened accurately, but you find it unpleasant. Like, you know, what do you do? <laughs> it's real bind. It's funny, eh, because she's a bright woman. <clears throat> I mean, she's got a law degree. She was um, handpicked by Chester Burroughs to take over the Yeah, okay, well, that explains a Tariana lot. wrapped around her, but um, but she just doesn't seem to exercise very good judgment. I mean, uh, just to, uh, to repeatedly in, attend uh, protests that were heavily populated by anti-vax. Yeah. Have, have, you, ever seen, have you ever seen the Manchurian candidate, though? Like, I think Chester Burroughs is sort of like... Wow. He was, he's like a, um, he was like a Labour sleeper cell who I think was activated whenever anyone said, like, thought, justice reform. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was... Like, his, pull out his fucking he was, a, he was just an asset. Like, he was an asset for the true Manchurian candidate, <laughs> Jim Bolger. You know, it's a long game. Hey, um, we we've got a lot of other things to talk about, and very little time to talk about them, and so we'll probably hold off talking about um, income insurance and employment insurance until next time. We'll probably hold off talking about inflation at length, which I know Ben Thomas uh, is keen to do. I should mention as well Bernard Hickey, who was noted by Annabelle Lee Mather a moment ago, has a podcast on the spinoff called When the Facts Change. Does he? Yeah, very hey. good. Very good on the spinoff podcast network. Have a listen to that. And his kaka newsletter. Kaka. Kaka. Kaka is shit oh, yeah, and kaka is parrot. The, we're also going to talk about the local elections a bit, but we'll hold off that. We've got plenty of time to do that. That's starting to have a little bit of, I know you were gagging to talk about local elections, both of you. That, that, should, that some, should be like a I special release. I had some things release. to say about local elections. I had some vibes. That well, should be a guided sleep meditation <laughs> podcast that we release. 
just like three hours of talking about local government elections <laughs> to ensure a deep and nightmare-ridden sleep. Before we go, though, and about the well, it's February third today. Normally, February five would be quite a big day, day before Waitangi Day, and the kind of political calendar this year they're not doing it. They're, they the prime minister flew up to uh, the north if, the weekend before last and uh, ended up on a plane with someone with COVID and she, she ended up we know what COVID happened. into the we community. Know what happened. They, no, <laughs> she did not. Like. She did not. It was, and it was on the way back, back south. But um, the missing, I mean, we also, Ratana has not happened for a couple of years now. Hmm. It does seem like missing a missing piece in the calendar that, that Waitangi is not going to happen in person. It's only going to be virtual. Yeah, and Ratana too. But as spectators, it's, you know, something that everyone looks forward to. But for the, the hokainga of those um, of those rohen, you know, particularly with ones like Ratana where it's such a part of their, 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 their culture, their whanau, um, everyone that does the, the um, mahi at those things, it, it sucks, but I think it's, um, you know, the, the right call that we keep our kaumatua and our rangatahi um, safe. But, yeah, certainly changes the vibe of the start of the political year, but more importantly, you know, as a as Māori cultural events, um, they're sorely missed. Hmm. Um, speaking of the Komatua and keeping them safe, one thing that we should, you know, I know that you, Toby and Annabelle, like to draw attention to the negative a lot, whereas I like to bring a sunny disposition yeah, and optimism to everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I saw Māori over 65 booster <clears throat> rates uh, leading... Uh, leading uh, European Pakeha New Zealanders. Um, And that's a real testament to the communities, to the providers, Mm. to the frontline staff. Um, Yeah, and we should acknowledge that. Tino Pai. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Annabelle. Thanks, Tiai here. Thank you to everybody who's getting boosted. And uh, we'll talk soon. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.